Kaneka Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation. I'm Noe Tanigawa. So glad you're here today. Yep, people on Oahu, we all sat up and took notice on where the median home price here is nearing a million dollars. On Kauai, their median home price surged through the million mark already, and prices are up 46% in a year. This is raising alarm bells for Jim Edmonds, a real estate broker who started Emerald Island Properties over 30 years ago. Edmonds' concerns over housing for Kauai residents led him to form Permanently Affordable Living, or PAL, Kauai five years ago. The goal there is managing costs for housing, utilities, food, and transportation through planning and new technologies. Now, however, Edmund says. His research shows the whole housing market has gotten away from them. There are 40 houses on the entire island under a million five. So if you work at Foodland and you make $12.50 an hour, you can't even rent anything because these multimillionaires and billionaires who are moving to the island, and they have no clue. They do not realize what they're doing, but they bring an entourage with them. Their doctors, they bring their lawyers, they bring their architects, they bring their school teachers, their massage therapists, their employees, their relatives, even their friends. People come here because they're here. So basically what I'm telling you is that the average person can no longer live here who's lived here for generations. They are being driven off the island. Five years ago, a beautiful Hawaiian lady hung her real estate license under my broker's license. And I asked her, what did she want to do with her real estate license? And she said she wanted to help her generation and her friends get property on Kauai. And I said, okay, well, let's focus on helping the local people rather than on helping all these multi-billionaires. A very sad joke is it took us about 20 minutes to figure out five years ago that there was nothing we could do to help the local people because the prices had already left them in the dust. Now, today, it's gone up. Uh, probably double what it was five years ago. That's a wild guesstimate on the average. So basically we decided we had to start trying to figure out how to build affordable housing. And through fits and starts, um, we were redoing the general plan at that time. So I started making suggestions of how to make it easier to build affordable housing, how to lighten up on the permitting process so it doesn't take so long. Right, did you make any progress? They adapted some of our suggestions for the general plan update. And yet, I mean, I look at the affordable housing inventory on your island. I think it's... It doesn't exist. Uh-huh. There is none. If there's an affordable house and nobody's in it, it's because the landlord hasn't made the appropriate moves to put somebody in it now. We have people on the beaches. We have people in their cars. We have people who have left the island and are leaving the island constantly. These are old-time families. And we also know of suicides and attempted suicides because of, of the housing crisis. So we began to work more and more seriously. And then about three years ago, we found a guy who had moved here from the mainland maybe a year and a half earlier, and he's an expert in affordable housing. And that's Larry Graff. He's been in the business for 30 years. So we were able to figure out a way to hire him. And he immediately formed the nonprofit a 501c3 permanently affordable living, which we call PAL, permanently affordable living. It's uh, a different way of looking at the problem. We are approaching it in so many different ways. I read a state study a couple of years ago that said that the main reason it's so expensive to develop housing in Hawaii is the cost of land, the cost of construction. The third one is permitting. Okay, well, look, you know the system, you know how, how it works, you know what's available. What do you think will be the best avenues for providing the quantities of affordable housing that's necessary? This is not my opinion. This is a fact. There is no avenue to that. There will be no avenue to that unless somebody comes up with huge amounts of money. The county has said for three years that we need 5,000 houses for the, for the local people only within five years. They started saying that three years ago. During that time, I'm guessing we built 500 houses and there are maybe 500 under construction. So we're three, four years behind. To develop those houses, my wild guesstimate is we need $4 billion. 
The federal government is not going to write a check for $4 billion to this little island to solve our housing crisis. That would be one way to do it. Yeah, so what, what have you come up with? Well, a lot of suggestions and, and not much action, although we are in the process. It looks like we will be building probably about 30 houses with, within the next year. It's a long, slow process. So when you ask that question of what is it gonna take, there's only one thing that I can see that will solve it. If you know any of our super wealthy new friends, our new neighbors, please tell them to reach out and help us. They could solve this issue with lunch money. If we've got 30 billionaires here and they put in 30 million, 50 million each, we could solve this problem on this island. And we've done the research to do it so that the people will not only have a more comfortable life, but they'll have a lifetime of pleasure rather than hard work. Most people on this island work three jobs and it's way too much pressure. The local people are frustrated. You can't blame them. And, and you found a way to make this sustainable. Okay, capsulize for me how affordable living can happen on Kauai. So, you know, most banks say you should have no more than 30% of your discretionary income go toward your home and where you live. On this island, it's more like 50, 55%. And we have the most crowded bedrooms in America. That's documented. And we have, you know, it's just so frustrating here. We, the, the number of people who left this island last year is eight, over 8,000 people. Now, not all of those are local. Frankly, a lot of those are the new, newcomers who move here and buy a place. Their broker walks through with their laptop and gives them a, a tour and they make an offer and buy it sight unseen. Then they come here and they go, wait a minute, this is an island. <laughs> you know, where's the opera? Where's, you know, where are all the theaters? And basically they, they end up selling and moving out pretty quickly, some of them. So when I say 8,500 people left the island, I would say probably 75% of those people are local people who've been here for generations, going somewhere else to try to find work. And therefore your family is ripped apart, uh, your multi-generational family and all your friends. And it's just heartrending. It's heartbreaking for us. And we're, we're really struggling to try to do something about it, but it's such a long, slow process. We need large farms and we need them embedded in the communities. And we've also done the research to know that we can do what we call no pipes in, no pipes out developments. We can do it with solar. We can do it with water catchment. We can do it all sorts of different ways of sustaining the community without having to spend so much money to bring in huge amounts of infrastructure and time, money and time. And time is one of the major issues. If I tell you that 6,000 local people left the island last year and there are 72,000 people on the island, do the math. How long is this going to last? Our estimate is we will have no local people on this island in five to 10 years unless something changes or unless those are the people who inherited their property from their parents and somehow stumbled into enough money to be able to pay the taxes and insurance that will accrue with all these multi-billionaires raising property values as we speak. So that's kind of like a little synopsis of the issue and what we're doing to try to solve it. The only way this is going to be solved is if our new super well-heeled neighbors will step forward and help. Jim Edmonds has been a real estate broker on Kauai for over 30 years. He owns Emerald Island Properties and is president of the board for Permanently Affordable Living Kauai. We'll have links to more with this story at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. If you already use your smartphone or iPad to wake up in the morning, you can wake up to Morning Edition on Hawaii Public Radio. 
You can tune into either of our two stations first thing in the morning, all day long, and with our sleep timer, you can even fall asleep to HPR. Plus, you can see playlists, listen to interviews, and see the program schedule too. Download our app for iPhone, iPad, or Android, and stay connected with HPR. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering Master of Science programs in finance, marketing, and information systems. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. Just over 10 years ago, Kaka'aka was still a pretty sleepy light industrial area with just the beginnings of redevelopment. In their properties west of Ward Avenue, Kamehameha Schools jump-started the current activity by funding creative projects like the Kaka'aka Agora, assisting cooperatives like Lana Lane Art Studios, and making leases available to creative small businesses. Dana Paressa was among the artists helping to fuel a vibrant art scene at the time. Then, eight years ago, Paressa moved to Portland. And this show, at Arts and Letters, is our first chance to see her work since. It could also be the last show she does. Paressa's been doing some thinking, and when we talked recently, I had to ask, what did the pandemic do to you, Dana? It did a lot of things. It validated a lot of like feelings that I was feeling before like it gave me the time to think things through um whether I wanted to or not um things like what well I'm native Hawaiian right and so there's always this weight of like what is the military doing to Hawaii what has the U.S. government done to Hawaii what are the police doing to Hawaiians and all these things that like I think about every single day but really? You didn't get away from that when you moved to Portland? Absolutely not. In fact, I feel like it amplified it because there's like being away. I'm just like seeking out more information. Whoa. Right. Um, so this COVID thing, it made you think things like what? I started these diaries the day after I was laid off. And I was laid off the day after I came home from Hawaii. <laughs> and so what was, was your like, job? My job, I was a bookbinder. It was okay. It was really interesting and it made my brain work in interesting ways. So the day after, I was like, well, I have to do something. And so I started my diary. Initially, it was just to give myself a task to do. And I was like, well, what is this going to last? Like two weeks? Then I can go back to like doing what I normally do. And so as it progresses, um, more things came up kind of like you know therapeutically when you're uh going over these things and actually writing it down I had a lot of time to process so ideas like racism in the Hawaii community um against like Micronesian people or even black people and things about gender and sexuality and colonialism and all these kinds of things Bring that on home, though, you know, because you can say those big words. They sound sure. real college-y. But <laughs> you know, the things in the show, the drawings that you captured there on the page and mm -hmm. the phrases that you wrote down are so human. They are. I know. don't really write well. And so it's just like I like to write really straightforward <laughs> because I don't know a lot of words, you know. But yeah, I don't know. I, it wasn't like I didn't really think about it a lot. I would read a lot like how 90k Trask and Nornoy Silva and all these things and just kind of like relate it to what I was personally feeling. But what were you personally feeling? Here's like March 24th. I didn't sleep at all last night. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do anything at all today. Yeah, it was really lonely and isolating. I didn't sleep because I'm just like thinking, when am I going to see my mom again? When am I going to see my family again? And it kind of felt like that time where there's a false missile attack where I'm like, is this it? 
was the last time I saw them the last time I saw them. So it was really heavy and inescapable because it's like something you can't control, right? And when it's something I can't control and I can't physically go and help, what do you do? You think about it, you cycle through it. And like the physical distance made it even tougher. I was really like isolating. I left the house very, very few times. Well, thank God for Jen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking and all that. I know. We had, luckily our house has lots of like built-in fun things to do. So we have like a giant yard and I spent hours and hours every day gardening and we bought you know 25 pounds of flour so I'm like what can I bake today I have the time so did you did did feelings come up around unemployment kind of uh, I'm not old let's say but I'm also not young and I've had a hard time kind of finding my footing and what I wanted to do for like a job job you're like Um, mid-30s yeah I'm 34 and I still uh don't have any hard plans. I think I have $2,000 in my retirement funds. <laughs> like there, I, you know, I don't have anything set up for a future. So this setback is what I'm going to call it in this, in this um, sense is like, okay, now I have to start from zero again. What were you thinking about? What do you think about money these days? I want to be able to buy food at the grocery store that I want to buy. I want to be able to visit my family whenever I want. I wanted to be able to take trips. I don't think that I have like these lofty expensive goals. Are you willing to change your life to get some more? You know, is that, is that, does that have anything to do with going back to school? It does. I'm, I'm going back to school for engineering, which was my first major in college, <laughs> but I dropped out because it freaked me out getting into like something that feels so unfun especially as like an 18 year old I think it's more fun now it is more fun now because I'm just like you know what math is cool and I do have an art degree and it I can use it whenever I want I can have both and I yeah and so like I think that I don't regret (laughs) like going to college for art you know I learned so many valuable things and I'm going to put it towards something that can have me be more independent and also, it's just like, I want to be useful, especially to like my community. Like, I'm not saying anything different with art. All these things have been said before. And so it's like, what can I do now that's like making actual change? And so I want to be able to help, especially because like Black, Indigenous, and people of color are the first to like face like climate change and like broken oil pipelines and all these things. And I want to be able to help with that. Honestly, tell me, what's great about living up there? Restaurants are cool. The nature is surprisingly really great, other than the fire season. (laughs) Um, Mm. There's lots of, like, swimming areas. There's lots of friendly people. Well, I'm just wondering what's better there so that you're there rather than here. When I'm in Hawaii, I love when I'm in Hawaii. When I'm in Portland, I love when I'm in Portland. Why I'm not in Hawaii right now is... I say Portland's more queer friendly. How does that play out? Um, okay, so when I was back home and my mom was in a townhouse, so there's these guys like cutting down these coconuts. And I was just like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to grab some coconuts from these guys. And I go and he's just like telling me about the types of meat in it. And like he related it to like how women paint their nails. And <laughs> my nails, I haven't painted them since high school. <laughs> that was like one of several times where it was just like, you know how women are, you know, they're shopping and painting their nails and spending their money on that kind of things. And I think it's just like really kind of funny. They're not reading me as queer. So I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> because in Portland, it would be different. It's just regular gender roles are, are different, I would say. And it's a palpable feeling. Sure. You know, like if you're a woman, you can like clearly identify when a man's being misogynistic. But if you're a man, you might not know what that looks like because like you haven't been the receiving person of the misogyny. And so it's just like when 
you have these identities, it makes it easier to feel when it's being like pressed or like questioned, I guess. So what you're describing are these kind of restaurants that are fun Mm -hmm. and maybe some cultural things, but you're also describing a feeling that like where your head can just lift up a little bit, you know, the ceiling's a little higher there Mm -hmm. in this one aspect. For sure. And it's like, again, it's just this one aspect because when I go home, there's all this Hawaii context that I don't have to explain. So it's just like, phew, I'm so relieved because it's like, I don't have to describe all these personal quirks that I have because it's not a personal quirk anymore. It's like a cultural quirk and like everyone in Hawaii (laughs) understands it. Exactly. Uh Would love to have both. (laughs) It's like really cool to be in college as like, an elder millennial. Yeah, I feel more confident and I'm actually like excited to be in school. How can you swing this financially? Well, I was on unemployment. I got the extra weekly pay that the government was paying. And it was the most money I've ever made in my entire life. That's how like little I was making. I also sold my car. I sold like a drawing tablet. We started cooking at home every single day and only called out to a restaurant once a week. And because of that, I saved enough money to pay for school for a little over two years. Hopefully by then I am also going to get into this thing called MECOP, which is like a cooperative so you can work and they'll pay you for your schooling and stuff. And that's my goal. And I'm going to hit it. I'm excited for you to get a new tool to do exactly the things you've already oh been gosh. doing. I know. I know. I'm just, I'm already thinking about art things that I can do with these different programs I'm running. I'm like, oh God, here we go. More <laughs> mediums, more materials. <laughs> Dana Perez's show, Hawaii for Real, continues through July 31st at Arts and Letters, the former Peggy Hopper building there on Nu'uanu Avenue. Now, tonight is First Friday, people. It's a great time to drop by. And Arts and Letters is across the street from Mark's Garage, where Pineapple Man and Friends is opening. They're doing an amazing show of local graphic novels, comics, classics like The Keepers, all the way to current budding illustrators. Hawaii graphic novels. Take a deep dive at Mark's Garage tonight through July 30th. Review of books, Throb, could be a place thinking people congregate for pleasure. It certainly is big and fresh to look at. Throb actually invites reading. Site metrics show they're getting thousands of hits and people are spending time reading on this site. A wild excerpt from Chris McKinney's new novel is on Throb, and we've got Chris in to add to the conversation. Throb itself is the brainchild of writer editor Don Wallace, the author of four books. Wallace has written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company. He's written a number of terrific articles as senior editor for Honolulu Magazine. He's contributing editor there now. This is why acceptance speeches are sometimes worth listening to. Last year, as he was receiving the 2020 Loretta Petrie Award for Outstanding Service to Literature, Don Wallace said he was going to start an online literary magazine. Believe it or not, all these people said, what a great idea. And so after that, I realized I'd, I had to follow through. So this but is Don, it. what is a review of books in your mind? Is there a, a template there that a review of books is? Or, or are you reinventing this year? Yeah, um, we're not reinventing it, except in the sense that it is local and Hawaii-focused. I think people who read books have heard of the New York Review of Books or the London Review of Books. It tries to be a cultural platform where all sorts of ideas get thrown out there and you stir the pot. I think we've only had three book reviews so far, but we've had probably 15 full articles, art and graphics. It's going to cover plays, art exhibits, politics. Some people said, well, this is the old Honolulu Weekly. And I said, well, you know, we missed the weekly, that frequent coverage that wasn't channeled through a commercial filter. We're pretty independent. That is my goal. A lot of voices, a lot of subject matter, and stories that are a lot deeper 
than people are used to. Hmm. Chris, you, you've contributed a piece there and, and you've gone at some pretty thorny ideas. <laughs> so great to have you here. Thank you. You know what, Chris, I think I better have you introduce yourself a little too. Yeah. Uh, my name is Chris McKinney. Uh, I was born and raised in Hawaii. I've written novels, uh, including The Tattoo and The Queen of Tears. And my latest book, uh, Midnight Water City, is the start of a sci-fi trilogy that comes out on July 13th. I'm going to write a review of that book. Don was, Don was instrumental in the thing getting published in New York. I mean, basically what was going on was submitted it to a handful of agents. And for the most part, I got the boilerplate rejection letter. And then I was talking to Don about it. And Don said, well, why don't you show it to Soho Publishing? He's the one who basically put us together. And the writing of it. Let's go back to some of that, Chris. You didn't even try to start a regular world in any kind of seamy or otherwise environment. No, you just had to jump right in to the other world this time with this novel, uh, the world that you're creating in 21... 42. 42. Yeah. <laughs> I think your readers are more ready for that now. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, th I think that I came to a point where I didn't want to just be sort of the Hawaii guy or, you know, uh, just basically classified as, as a Hawaii writer. And, um, and honestly, I don't, I don't even know if I, I reached a point where I don't know if I was qualified to be even labeled that because it's sort of like, you know, the, uh, my connection to rural Hawaii at this point is tenuous at best. Um, I'm basically, what I am is one of the most uninteresting things on this island. I'm a middle-class suburbanite with two kids. So it's just sort of like, do I really want to write about that experience or, or do I want to, you know, try to press my imagination and press more importantly, my curiosity about, about science, about astrophysics, about marine biology, about ecology and sort of use um, my curiosity and, uh, and lean on that as opposed to just simply leaning on personal experience. I've always been a fan of sci-fi, so it was actually... I won't say it was easy. None of them are easy, but it didn't feel like a super daunting transition to sort of go from, I guess, what you could say is regional fiction to science fiction, um, speculative fiction. Are you kidding? It's all writing, you know, it's, it's yeah. I did have to learn a lot. I mean that, that, and, but that was part of the, the fun of it. I didn't take in a formal science class since college. I had to be self-motivated to just read books, read journals um, about a different um, scientific fields that were relevant to the world that I was trying to build. It's one, I'll say one thing about writing sci-fi that is a little bit different is that when you show it to somebody, you're almost flinching <laughs> because especially with, when I think about the second book, you know, I haven't submitted it yet. But I'm, when I do so, I'm going to flinch because you're throwing in so much craziness that you just hope the person buys it. When I, when I wrote my book set in Hawaii, in contemporary Hawaii, I never flinched. It was just sort of like, I know that this is plausible. I know that this is real. If you don't like it, that's fine. But don't tell me it's not real or believable. With this stuff, yeah, there's definitely flinching going on. So what do you teach? I teach freshman comm and uh, fiction. What do you find people want to write about? This fantasy sci-fi thing, it, it's three out of four times it's fantasy or sci-fi. I think they're going to write their way into reading. The reason they're writing science fiction is they must be reading fan fiction, I figure. And fan fiction is that subterranean world of people who want to write their own version of Star Wars, their own version of Wakanda. They're all readers already. They're using their phones. It's kind of futuristic, but we have to provide them stuff that they'll get hooked by. For Hawaii readers, Throb is gonna be part of that. You were actually soliciting submissions, Don. Yes. I mean, I... Right, I asked Chris to send me his best students. And I would say to anyone listening to this, if you are a teacher and you've got talented people, send them to Throb, let's grow the team. Don, are you still writing your, your other book? Oh, the yeah, yeah. The pandemic was ideally suited for a writer who had enough food to eat and enough toilet paper. My last book that came out was The French House, which is a memoir of France. Like Mindy and I go to France when we can, 
and stay in a, a tiny Breton cottage that has never quite been renovated since 1830. And that's what the French house was about. And, um, you know, they said, what are you going to do next? And I actually tried writing a book about Hawaii and I wrote it. And then that was one thing that gave me impetus to do Thras. I said, I don't want to read another book by some guy from the mainland. Yeah, okay, about Hawaii. I want to help Hawaii writers. And so I put that book aside. And all I, all I will say is that writing a novel, I, I did a 700 page draft and I threw it out. And I'm so proud of myself for throwing it out. What Sometimes you have to like? clear your throat. Wow. I don't is, know if I would be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Be, what is Don like as an editor, Chris? Easy. <laughs> Just a pleasure to work with. And it helps. What he tells you makes what you write better. That's really all you can ask from an editor. And he's, he's a really good one. Yeah. All, all I know is I oh, like his writing. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, his writing um, is fantastic as well. Um, and and yeah. across genres of writing, in fact. Submission what can't he write? I mean, he should write sci-fi. Yeah. Talk about the landscape a little bit, Dunn. Uh, what's kind of exciting out there now? We're an island that has created its own deep cultural layer cake. And it's, it's always been throwing off great stuff. What's happening right now is, I think, a refreshing of the literary sources as a new generation comes in and has crashed the gates. I look at Bamboo Ridge and they've just caught on fire. They're soliciting inquiries right now for a speculative issue, a science fiction issue, basically. More books. They have Scott Kikawa, who's writing a Japanese-American noir detective series set in the 1950s. I think this is the thing that Hawaii has been waiting for in terms of examining our roots and our past, because mm. no one wants to look at this, at the territory to statehood period, that period right after World War II when the power was shifting, because there are a lot of bodies are buried there. And mm -hmm. Scott Kikawa, who is a federal agent, he's writing about it in a very visceral way. Um, You're talking about Kona Wins. Yeah, Kona Wins, and he's got a new one coming. Same detective? Um, yeah, the Sheik, as they call him. Japanese-American, 440-something veteran. Columbia grad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Raymond Chandler through a, a great filter, and it's very uniquely local. So Scott's a big talent, and um, the guy who has contributed to Throb, a Hawaiian horror story of his own, is Brian Kamaolikuara. And Brian is well-known. He's a real connector and builder of literary landscapes and people here. He was a surprise for me. Who is this guy? I loved his yeah. piece in, in Throb. Yeah, and that is kind of what Throb wants to do is be the little sweet spot in the Venn diagram for all these publications, for their talent to come together. We want to be the gathering place and expose people to all the, the richness of Hawaii that's going on. That's Don Wallace, writer, editor, and founder of Throb, the Hawaii Review of Books. We'll have a link online with this story. You can find an excerpt from Chris McKinney's novel, Midnight Water City, release date July 13th. For Throb, McKinney examines Kazuo Ishiguro's new novel that considers the emotional relationship between a genetically modified person and artificial intelligence. Federal agent Scott Kikawa writes about our meth problems. Yes, they're ongoing. Tida Lam interviews African-American Buddhist writer-philosopher Charles Johnson. Kiana Davenport recounts her year with COVID in its epicenter, New York City. A lot going on in Throb this month. Kudos to creative director James Charisma. Throb looks ravishing. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to Homa Summer Nights with live music, bites, beverages, and art-making workshops on Friday and Saturday evenings until 9. HonoluluMuseum.org Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. 
Hi, I'm Gabrielle Glancy. I'm the author of I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about parasites, social media, and other planetary disturbances. Sunday morning at 11. heard front business, a sound stood out in the way that Esperanza Spalding or maybe Kobashi Washington stand out as a unique synthesis of ideas. Front business is local musician Ted de Oliveira. Ted's dad is legendary percussionist Carlos de Oliveira, who once bested 499 others to be crowned the champion pandero or tambourine player in Brazil. You can imagine the competition. Ted's mom is singer, ethnomusician Sandy Tsukiyama, the host of Brazilian Experience, one of HPR's most popular programs. Ted de Oliveira, front business, is out now with a new recording. It's called Festival de Azetona, Festival of Olives. drums, bass, guitar, synthesizer, you do sampling, play a little piano. What does it mean to play synthesizer? That means you can do keyboards and create sounds, is that it? Playing synth is literally synthesis. It's it's taking any sound, you, got, you, you maybe get like four or five basic waveforms, and you just twist knobs until you, it sounds like what you want it to sound like. And so you can make that, you can make a, a lead sound, a bass sound, a bass sound, a pad sound. You can make all these different sounds off of just twisting knobs. And so it involves, it's very time consuming. It involves you staring at your computer and or staring at your, your, uh, your synthesizer for a very long time. And some people hate it. Some people love it. I love it. I love sitting there. And it's the, the amount of exploration you can, you know, uncover through synthesis is, is beautiful because you can tap into emotions that haven't been felt yet, I think. Who are you working with here? Talk about your partner on, on these two cuts we're gonna hear. Cease is an animal. He's, he's a beast, he, he plays everything. He's a mo probably one of the most talented individuals I've ever met. He's and, from here, Hawaii. And yeah, that's he's he's my my little brother, you know, and and he basically showed up at 21, and he's he's you know in his 30s now, and we've been working for the past 11 years. The kind of chemistry we have in the studio is unparalleled because sometimes when I'm by myself, I am not as motivated as if somebody's sitting in the room going, "What are you doing?" Mm -hmm. or and being okay with being negative, being okay with being like, that sounds mm -hmm. bad. Let's try something different. Or having a naysayer in the room saying like, oh, this, this doesn't sound good. We should start something else. And you go, no, 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 no. Let's try it. Let's, let's keep working. And so having this mm. fiery dynamic helps. Just somebody who cares as much he about cares. the details. He cares about all the minute details. And, and because of that, it comes out the way it does. And it doesn't, I, I don't make songs like I make songs when I make songs with him. It's completely different schools coming together. This has been a good intensive five years of just songwriting laboratory, making songs. Yeah, what do you feel you're trying to do? You're telling a story. Literally just purely creating a narrative and telling a story. That story is subjective. And, and you could feel a certain way about it. I could feel a certain way about it. In the end, that's what art is. And there is no true set thing. I can't. I wish I could say, hey, this is what it's about, and this is what it's You don't know. The way somebody's going to interpret it because of their experiences in life, that's completely up to them. So I, I'm just giving a gift. This is my omiyage. Here you go. Enjoy it. And if, and if it takes you to some place, if it brings you to an emotion or feeling, that's what I'm here to do, and that's my job. Well, we kind of wonder where you start. Like, for example, with this one here, D-L-L-W-H-P. 
This is... It's pronounced... It's, it's actually Dole Whip. Dole Whip. It's about do you go and saying gee I'm in a dull whip mood <laughs> I could, I'm gonna put all these sounds together you know we've made over a thousand something songs and you show up you start playing something you don't talk about anything you just start playing something and then if something well, sticks on what? one or the other it's <laughs> at any instrument you can because <gasps> he's a multi-instrumentalist I'm a multi-instrumentalist yeah so I'll start playing something on guitar he goes hey that's good I can add something to that or he'll start playing something on piano and I'll be like that's good loop it so it's about playing 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 and then saying stop what was that that's amazing or whoa that's cool let's keep that let's build on that because there's plenty of ideas where you're playing and playing and you're like ah mm-hmm. you know but the main process part is we're not coming into the song like hey we're gonna make a song about dough no like we <laughs> you know we just play something and then go hey you know what that sounds kind of cool let's just keep going with that or let's let's make it less basic or let's make it ornate let's make it let's make this not run of the mill let's let's keep hammering at it and then believing in it and i think belief is a huge part of it too because you got to keep your belief alive if you if you are overthinking and and hating on your own stuff there's there's a limit you know you could you could hating is good on your in music production because you're refining what you're doing but at the same time how do you be supportive as well so you're gonna balance of a little bit of a little bit of like nitpickiness and a little Uh bit of supportiveness and so but but in the end, you're always moving forward. That is just so cool to think about you going at it that way because... It's catharsis. It's it's about a process of therapy, just getting whatever I feel out onto paper or out onto the, the machine so that I can feel good That just for that day, just for that moment. If I feel good that moment, then my job is done. I know what you mean. It's like a feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. Picnic tables you do you do you play video games are you surfer uh, do you cook um i think i'm gonna say that nothing that is anything that is the other parts of my life affect music music is is completely <laughs> by itself its own machine <laughs> that is meant for therapy <laughs> it's a therapy machine. his eyes look real wild now guys no, <laughs> yeah, lighting no, it's, up. <laughs> it's 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 like i think it's really it, it goes back to pain it goes back to having struggles and trauma and and getting this out like is it getting whatever you're feeling and getting it out imagine instead of making a magnum opus try writing a short story like my grandmother did try writing something that is of the times of that day just write a little bit because it's not overwhelming like i slept on the wrong side of the mattress today oh yeah that was 100 percent. we freestyled that whole thing that just came out that's me and jabari prevost by the way so he who 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 was doing jabari prevost played keys i i sang and we pressed record and we went and that was one of those that we just we just came up with on the spot and just went there Who's to say 
will ever figure out a better way kids to educate nothing left to debate further oppression and hey pot caught kettle stomach hot and settle connection Sarah I got to be clever Never showing cards, glass boulevards, mass shooter scars, winning lot of stars, clandestine bars, road paved with stars, mass graves of us, shiny new cars, shiny new cars. See, I woke up on the wrong side of the cell block mattress, mattress. I woke up on the wrong side of the cell block mattress. That, that song is just incredible, kind of. <laughs> um, have you been in prison? Boy, I have been in and out of the criminal justice system since I was 16 years old. And that's just a product of my environment, just in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out my whole life. And I've, I thank all the times I've been incarcerated because I think it gives you a fresher perspective on life. It does. It definitely makes you more patient and it makes you have compassion and non-judgment towards all walks of life, you know? And it, it makes you also treat people with respect, you know? And also it, it makes you work on your integrity as a human being as well. Because, you know, if you're in there, you can't really, you can't really, you know, you have to be a man of your word. Let's just say that. You can be like a periscope on the inside for us. Help us understand what you learned. It's one of those things where it's like, it's almost like I want to keep it secret. I, I don't want them to find out what it's like. But I will say that. Why? If... <sighs> It's like you, in order to, to truly understand the jewel, you got to walk that road and you have to walk it yourself. Like you can't really hand it to somebody and be like, this is what it's like. You know, like you have to go without. You have to have periods where things don't go your way. And you have to have periods where you have severe amounts of controls and lots of consequences if you don't do a certain thing in place. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I'll keep, I want to guard that experience because it's something very special to me. Yeah, it's one of those things where I don't ever truly, truly want to share that because for me, that's a fuel. That's, that's where I get a lot of the music from is the, that music comes from pain. And so that's my inspiration. If you want to know, hey, do you play video games? Hey, do you do this? It's like, no, my inspiration is pain. And I love it because it's, it's never going to stop. We're, <laughs> we're living the human condition right now. You know what I'm saying? So... You, you can always you can always go back to this this feeling to to mine it to get to get some more good inspiration from it To me, this sounds like urban Honolulu in the shore break at Sandy's. <laughs> a Way Forward, it's called. 
All the music, in fact, in this show today was created by Ted de Oliveira. Front business. No vowels and a lot of Z's. Good luck spelling it. We'll provide a link with this story. coconut wireless on the art scene. The Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts has thrown its shoulder behind Hawaii's big art festival. Warhol just awarded Hawaii Contemporary $100,000 toward the 2022 Hawaii Triennial. Artists and venues are falling into place for the big event February 18th to May 8th, 2022. Beyond Van Gogh, you've heard of us. Just say it, just like a takeout order. Beyond Van Gogh is opening at the convention center today. It's a multimedia waltz through the paintings of Dutch artist Vincent van Gogh. You know, Starry Night, Sunflowers, Wheatfields, The Portrait. The portraits are almost the best here because you remember the lives that this painter so lovingly depicted. First part of the exhibit's uh, pretty texty. Go with a copy of Vincent's Dear Theo. Read it yourself and head straight to the large media room. <laughs> Take the kids if you can afford it. Adult prices start at $45, but there are deals out there. It's going to be a great weekend. Ron Artis performs at Blue Note. Hope you'll enjoy that. And by the way, the Vibe Monthly Jazz Night started last night at High Sam, the Hawaii State Art Museum. Check that on out. <laughs> And I guess that about wraps it up for this Aloha Friday. Mahalo to all the folks in the show today and to you for your company. Thanks for coming every day on The Conversation. I know if you're listening to this program, you're growing your roots here. We really love to hear from you. What do you like? What do you need to hear more of? Let us know. Email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments. Get it rolling on Facebook, Twitter. You can message us on Instagram. Producing is a Kako thing here. Mahalo to Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and Savannah Harriman-Pote. Also, Matthew Fairfax. Catherine Cruz picks it up Tuesday after this long Independence Weekend. I'm Noe Tanigawa. Let's take care of each other. Have a safe, happy Aloha Friday. Thank you.